In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter certainly didn't respond. We understand everything you've just said. Finally, it all makes sense. Of course, of course we're staying here with you. Only much later in the Gospels do we get to a point where the narrative said that they had no more questions for him. Certainly not at this stage. We've just finished the fourth Sunday in a row of reading from the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel. And we get to the point of this dramatic event and, and momentous teaching when we see one of the two uh, great departures from our Lord. Two teachings especially inspired not only mockery and derision, but also people just leaving him. People who had seen him work miracles. People who had followed him. And no, no longer. The people who had seen him multiply loaves and fishes want to see another miracle. They also want their bellies filled. And he says, you have to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. And if you do not, you have no life in you. And he says it over and over again. And in response, St. John tells us, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. It's helpful to remember, St. John is writing his gospel several decades after this happened. Maybe in the 80s, maybe even the 90s. Which lends an even more definitive tone to his saying, these people no longer accompany Jesus. And our Lord allowed them to walk away. When our Lord taught that if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery, the response was, was even, even more vociferous. People laughed at him and they said, well, if that's the case, then it's better not to marry. This is ridiculous. We know that these two teachings are the ones that usually go by the wayside when a person or a group decides to, to try to be Christian without the Catholic Church or to be more Catholic than the Pope. But when we cut ourselves off from Peter, those things which are most supernatural about our everyday life almost certainly go by the wayside. The reality that Christian marriage is irrevocable and it's the paradigm for all marriage. And that we from this altar receive and consume the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. These are not easy teachings. They force us to truly believe, not just that what Christ says is true, what the apostles say about him is reliable. It demands that we accept humbly the power and the grace of God to be turned into saints. 
to reckon with the fact that we are gathered around him as the angels are, worshiping him and have been forever. And so each person, each generation is asked the same question. Do you also want to leave? Some who are especially clever will claim to understand, but rewrite his teachings. Imagine in the eighth chapter of Acts of the Apostles, the deacon Philip. He's moved by the Holy Spirit to go and, and preach to the Ethiopian Jew who's just been worshiping in the temple and is now in his chariot on his way back to Ethiopia. A member of the royal court, incredibly educated, obviously very devout to go to such great lengths to offer worship to God in Jerusalem. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And this simple deacon asks him, do you understand what you are reading? We don't know exactly how Philip appeared. We don't know his station in the world. But by this time, he probably would have divested himself of all of his personal possessions anyway. So his appearance was probably fairly simple. How does the Ethiopian respond? This educated, wealthy man responding to, a question, to the question of a, of a simple man who's obviously so poor he's walking on foot. His response isn't, well, of course I understand everything. Well, everything that makes sense, of course, in this convoluted sacred scripture. No, he doesn't respond like that. Which is how most of the people who falsely claim to profess all the faith think of all of this. Now, his response is, is simple. His response is the same that comes from people who genuinely are learners, genuinely want to understand. His reply is, how can I unless someone explains it to me? He recognizes probably there's something about the Holy Spirit. There's something touched by grace in this man. He opens himself to be willing to be taught by this, by this simple preacher. And so for good reason, we have an intuition. We have an intuition to, to trust and believe those people who present themselves as docile to the church, as docile to the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we're naturally leery of the people who seem to be totally convinced of their own personal theories about Christianity. Our predisposition as believers of this ancient religion is to believe the things that have been tested and tried and proven, the things that have always been believed, and to be quite suspicious, naturally, of things that present themselves as brand new, as the first ever explanation of how this all makes sense. Perfect example is our second reading. St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. On the Feast of the Holy Family, it's, it's possible for, for pastors to um, navigate their way through the difficult readings to make sure that people only hear readings that are uh, safe. 
And even today on this 21st Sunday in the year B, there's a long version of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and there's a short version. The short version skips all of those things that might make you uncomfortable at a cocktail party. Well, 17 years of lectures know full well that if they're reading in my mass, they always read the long version. And remember, our predisposition is to be docile to the church, to know that Christ is the Word of God, and that if the Holy Spirit isn't guiding the church, it would have died a long time ago, which means the Holy Spirit definitely guided the apostles and the evangelists and made sure that we would know the truth about Jesus. St. Paul teaches us, be subordinate to one another out of Christ, out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, be subordinate to your wives out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subordinate to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. Is this to be taken seriously? Well, yes, because it's the word of God. Secondly, you can look at St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, the seventh chapter, and he makes it very clear. The dignity of husbands and wives, their equality is complete. He tells wives, do not, you do not rule over your own body. Your husband does. And in the exact same language, husbands, you do not rule over your own body. Your wives do. It's very difficult for us to imagine how jaw-droppingly shocking that was 2,000 years ago. Unless we reckon with the fact that it's, it's actually still jaw-droppingly shocking. Husbands, you do not rule over your own bodies. They do not belong to you. They belong to your wives. They're not your property. They're God's property. They've been consecrated for your wife, for her service, for her love. And then St. Paul goes into the different ways in which wives subordinate themselves to husbands and husbands subordinate themselves to their wives. First three paragraphs, the first three phrases would have been yawn-inspiring 2,000 years ago. The husband is head of his wife, just as Christ is head of the church, he himself the savior of the body. He gets then to husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her. He's talking about the cross. Christ loved the church so much, he gave himself up, lived for her, died for her. And that's, husbands, how you need to love your wives. That's what would have hit the headlines of the newspapers 2,000 years ago. In this similar fashion as last week when we celebrated the Assumption on Saturday the 15th, Christians wouldn't have been shocked by the fact that Mary was taken up body, soul, into heaven. They would have been shocked that it wasn't happening to everybody. Without getting too clever for ourselves, it's helpful to appreciate, or to begin to appreciate, what was happening then. And what was the intent of the author? What's the Holy Spirit trying to teach us? There is a truth about marriage that St. Paul is able to communicate quite beautifully to now 21 centuries of Christians. My engaged couples almost inevitably 
have to have this conversation about Ephesians 5. A few pick it for their wedding mass, but even the ones who don't get to visit it line by line. And 17 years of engaged couples have always produced the same results when I ask them a simple question. What are the ways in which women might typically ruin a relationship without committing any great sin? And what are the ways in which men might ruin a relationship without committing any great sin? You have to endure about 5, 10, 15 seconds of awkward silence because no one wants to answer that question. And then usually the bride-to-be says, well, maybe, maybe women sometimes nag their husbands. Yeah, that's what everyone says. And what does the gentleman have to reckon with? Well, um, and it's, the use is usually coming out in a variety of different ways of expressing it, but it boils down to um, husbands disengage. They're remote. They're incommunicative. They hide. It seems that St. Paul understands this well and wants to set in motion a mutual subordination that makes sure that that is not the undoing of a relationship. Because how does that play out? He backs away. She takes up the empty space. He, he retreats even further. She takes over everything. He checks out, and, and she's... You know, and, and she's the enemy. She's the bad person. The devil's formula for ruining a relationship is pretty easy and usually works very well. St. Paul's antidote is simple and straightforward. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. Now, obviously, we're talking about a Christian St. Paul. Even a Jewish St. Paul would make it very clear. In matters of conscience, is she supposed to turn off her brain and obey him? No, of course not. And the popes have always, always made that very clear. A Christian wife doesn't turn off her conscience. She doesn't ignore what she knows to be true and good. So to what could this ever apply? Obviously, to matters that are not matters of conscience. Those small things, which are especially the things that a husband doesn't want to get involved in. And St. Paul is saying, don't let him retreat. Don't let him disengage. Force him to be involved in every part of your life. Force him to be engaged. Force him to make a decision. Force him to take responsibility. And what's the end result? The end result is a relationship that actually is mutual. A relationship where, where everyone is, is fully engaged. And as, as uncomfortable as it might be for the husband to be so involved in every aspect of his wife's life, remember, St. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Give up your entire life. Be willing to die. And if that sounds like an impossible task a vocation destined to fail because you're compared to Christ on the cross, well then, welcome to my world.
Christ asks you the same question. Do you also want to leave? Do you want to walk away? And our response can't be, no, of course not, because I understand all this better than you do. All of these nonsensical things, I have a way of reinterpreting it so it doesn't bother me one bit and it doesn't embarrass me in front of all of my fashionable friends at lovely lavish cocktail parties. That's not our response. Our response is, Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. Lord, there is, no, there is nowhere else to go. We give thanks and, and praise and honor and gratitude when, when we are able to understand your truth. And, and we offer you our love and our obedience when, when what you teach doesn't quite make sense to us just yet. We know that when that happens, the deficiency is on, on our part, not yours and not your church. We won't insult you by implying that you do not understand the ramifications of what you said. And we won't in any way cast aspersions on your bride. Send us your Holy Spirit. Give us grace and wisdom and understanding. Help us to be confident in the knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit. To be humble with it, to be grateful and to be generous as well. Make us patient and long-suffering with those who have decided to leave you. And help us never to take for granted those who are among us. Keep them strong in faith and keep us always in your company. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.